welcome to the latest edition of the Copcast podcast. I'm your host, Neil Patterson, and joining me tonight to discuss all things Liverpool, and particularly uh, the latest victory at Anfield uh, over Arsenal last Saturday night. Uh, I've got a, an esteemed panel and uh, a new addition to the to the squad, to the lineup. So uh, joining me from Liverpool tonight is uh, Jay Reid. How are you doing, Jay? Yeah, mate, doing great. Um, obviously, it's nice to get my views out there to a lot more people. If they want to listen to me or not, that's up to them. But yeah, I'm your new summer signing, late in the window, even though it's shut for England. Excellent. Glad to be giving you a platform, mate. And in uh, Berlin tonight, where I am as well, is uh, Cengiz Cockery. How are you doing, Cengiz? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, it's back to basics, back to winning. Got over the Istanbul hurdle and now, um, yeah, back to the good times. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's good to have you back on, man. And, uh, of course, a voice you're, you're very familiar with, uh, Joining me from Belfast tonight is Dave Dunnan. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, I'm doing the best, mate. Doing the best. Ah, it's great to see the Reds winning, like, isn't it? Just to see them playing. I just, yeah, it's just great just being able to switch on and watch them every week. It really is. You That's know, it. it's just, it's just the best. It's just the best time. It is. It's a, it's a treat. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll stay with you, Dave. Since I'm talking to you, the game at the weekend, Saturday night, Anfield, six thirty kick or five thirty kickoff in the UK, six thirty for me here in Berlin. Obviously, pretty good time to be playing, and Anfield was rocking. And, uh, yeah, another great performance from the Reds. Yeah, I do love an Arsenal half-five at Anfield. I've been there a few. I try to get to them. I don't know why. I just I just enjoy Arsenal games. Um, and it's been really good just about the last four or five years. And um, we're, just, we're just so good. Like, it's not even funny how good we are. That's supposedly... Well, not supposedly. Realistically, probably, what would you say, the fourth best team in the league? You expect I, it to finish fourth this year? Yeah, I'd say the fourth. Yeah, and like there is an absolute chasm between those two sides. An absolute chasm. I could not believe how dominant we were. And maybe it was down to Emre you know, trying to be a little bit more expansive last year and going and getting the early goal and then getting just absolutely eaten up. And maybe he thought, I'll try to be a little bit more pragmatic because to be fair to Emre, he's, he's not really like Klopp or Guardiola where they have their specific way of playing. Emre's very flexible with what, he, with what he'll do depending on who he's playing, um, which, which has its pros and its cons, obviously, but... You know, he tried something. He he, he, he he tried to play narrow. He, did, he didn't want us playing through the middle of them like we did last year. Like we just, if you remember, like the first few goals, we just we just went right through the middle of the pitch last year, and he didn't allow that to happen. So let the fullbacks have the ball and just relied on Louise and and Socrates just to try and head it away. Which, to be fair, for most of the first half they did, but we just were so dominant. It was like a big kid picking on a little toddler at times. Um, we penned them in, we bullied them, we pressed them, we took the ball off them in their in their final third, I think, eight times or something crazy. Um, the most Arsenal have experienced in this decade, I heard. Honestly, like I, I'm not going to go into too much just yet, but that side just finds a way and they, they work it out themselves as players on the pitch and they demand so much of each other and they hold each other accountable all the time um, and they demand such high standards of, of the player next to them and you can see it and you can see the desire and you can see the, the determination in every single player's performance on Saturday to go and win the league basically so at the minute you know I Honestly, just can't wait the next game. It's Burnley away, and you know we were thinking, oh, Burnley away, tricky. See, see now, I'm not anymore. I'm just thinking, let's just see how the Reds are going to beat this team. We're so capable of beating so many different sides with so many different styles who try so many different different ways to beat us, and I think we'll see that a lot this year. I think you'll see sides trying various different strategies because basically nothing's worked before. I can't see anything working in the in the immediate future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you touched on a lot of things there, and we'll, I 
probably going to come on to discuss in, in more detail uh, or or have a little chat anyway about just what you, you possibly can do against this this Liverpool team. But, Jay, I want to come to you because you were at Anfield on, on Saturday, uh, first match of the season due to early, ho- early season holidays. But uh, what a game to come into. Um, yeah, so just tell us what it was like there, especially the first half. What a start by the Reds. I mean, it really was, uh, as, as Dave alluded to, it really was a bit of a blitz. Yeah, as you say there, it was first game this season. And, you know, it's nice to go in with a big game. Not that Norwich first game of the season wasn't because your, your season opener always is a big game. But to get, like, the first one of the big six, as they are, um, whether Arsenal stay in the big six much longer, we, we'll see. But to get a big boy at Anfield early on in the season and put our marker down is always a good thing to get involved in. But... Yeah, the the atmosphere was a uh, was rowdy and raucous from early on, and I think the team set the tone when when the boys come out. You know that the the fans are always behind them, but if the team set the tone early on, then it works hand in hand with the fans. They they get g'd up, they they're pushing every ball, they're, they're making every press, they they're on the boys to do even more. And it's got to be intimidating for like, like the likes of Arsenal. Anyone who comes to Anfield in the past eighteen twenty four months is as all said, like, we've got this plan. You've heard it from PSG. You've heard it from, obviously, the Arsenal players were talking earlier on in the week, saying, no, Anfield won't bother us. We've got a plan to beat Liverpool. We're not scared of their front three anymore. Well, unfortunately, lads, go back to the drawing board because you're joining a long list of people who have come to Anfield with a plan. And that plan has just been blitzed out the water because, as Dave said, we are this machine. We can adapt. We can change the people. We can move around in different ways we can change our formation on the pitch and we've got clever players there now right the way through the the whole spine of the team who who are, who are all leading their small areas and they're all looking after one each other and one one clog clicks onto the other and onto the other then unfortunately there is no way of stopping us especially at Anfield as you say uh it, it's the intelligence of the players there to essentially work out and uh overcome any set of problems that they've, they've been posed, particularly at Anfield, but in general over the last kind of season and a half, um, that's that's really been the case. So, Cengiz, I, I want to come to you um, because obviously we watched the game together and it became apparent uh, pretty early on that, as Dave alluded to in the beginning, Emery uh, wanted to play narrow and decided to pack the, the centre of the pitch, really, uh, to stop Liverpool going through the middle. Probably as a reaction to last year, uh, again as as Dave mentioned there, could you see and and did you see the the development of how kind of Liverpool came to terms with that and uh, essentially kind of overcame um, the the issues that Arsenal were posing them because there were there were there were various points in that first half where there was a little bit of frustration going around that the ball seemed to be getting tossed into the box and haven't watched it back. I think we were maybe. Overly harsh at the time, but you know what it's like watching a game. So, how, just how impressed were you at, at at Liverpool's evolution to to kind of solving that problem that was posed? I think I think we were brilliant um, in every sense. It, it was it was a bit maybe naive of uh, Emery to think that we would try and drive through the middle playing at Anfield at home. I mean, of course, we're gonna uh, play expansive in an expansive way. Um, I think. You know, Dave mentioned um, previously we did um, hurt them by driving straight through the middle. But our fullbacks had a lot of time. We put in a lot of crosses and it it just worked in our hands this time. But um, the most impressive thing is that somehow, uh, even when we're not on top of our game, for example, uh, when we played um, um, the Super Cup against Chelsea, it was horrendous for uh, quite a lot of period. But you know, we ended up um, going to extra time and winning on penalties. So it's just even when things don't work your way, um, you're able to win. That's that's pretty much what the winning winning spirit is all about. Um, and they, they definitely all have it in them. And um, one thing I would say, we don't really have a, a weak link which teams can kind of exploit. It, it, they're definitely, you know, people target Trent quite a lot um, on the media saying oh yeah he can't defend he's he's good going forward blah 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 considering that he's mostly isolated on that side with Salah being further forward and 
the attack of play going through uh, Robertson a lot. And, you know, when he has to go forward, he has to come back. So um, I would say he's even he's not a weak link, uh, even even though he has to work a lot. For example, Adrian uh, would, I would say, is the weakest link at the moment. And he won us the Super Cup. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a nice position to have. Um, I, I'm just slightly concerned about the, the mistakes that Adrian has been making um, over the last few games. And I don't want to be harsh on him because I, I saw us lift the Super Cup because of him. But um, he's been making similar kind of mistakes uh, one, once too many times now. And um, you could see that there was kind of like a shaky moment uh, in the game where um, Virgil's running for the ball. And he's kind of trying to communicate, I guess, that he has the ball, but Adrian decides to come in anyway. And then the Arsenal player chips it over. Thankfully, it doesn't. Uh, go in because not everybody is, I don't know, Bobby Firmino or um, Daniel Sturridge even against what was it West Brom. So yeah, okay. but apart from that, I mean, it's we've done incredibly well against any kind of team who's looking to sit back and uh, try and hit us on the counter because we're we're playing the high line and also against teams that do want to actually attack us and try and keep the ball. They're going to be pressed and. Uh, we'll have the ball further up the field. So it just seems that we're ready for anything now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned there Adrian's uh, howler, I guess. Uh, he got away with it again. Aubameyang uh, just, just puts it wide. But just uh, come back to come back to you, Jay, because Arsenal did have one or two chances. I mean, I, I look back, I watched the game back again to, uh, today. And in the first half, They've broken us once or twice. Well, I guess they've broken us really about four or five times. They're the ones that sort of we remember the the the, the big Pepe chance where he hits it straight at Adrian, but Adrian stays big. Uh, doesn't doesn't fall for Pepe's. I think Pepe's trying to give him the eyes that he's putting in the corner, uh, and then tries to go back the other way and hits it straight at Adrian. And then there's uh, Pepe's kind of curler where Adrian kind of reacts a bit late. And there's the the Adrian Holler, as you mentioned, and one or two other half chances. But I had the feeling, though, even even that even if Aubameyang had a scored, um, we were we were really on it, and it, it probably would have just um, made us angry. I, I didn't really feel at any point that we were in, in any danger of not winning that game. I mean, what was it like for you in the ground? How did how did you feel? Uh, the, first of all, we'll go back to the the one on one chance you now with Pepe. I think everyone knew after about five minutes even all the fans, that he's all left foot. And every time he got the ball, he wanted to get onto his left. And the way Robertson sort of pushed him in field, like he took a swipe and missed, but he pushed him onto his right foot. And then uh, I can't remember he was back. It might have been Virgil or Matip was back with him. When he got towards the goal and obviously added an attempt, he, he sort of flushed it because all he wanted to do was was get it onto his left. But we actually defended it quite well in terms of the situation that we were in, that we pushed him onto that right-hand side where he, he obviously wasn't comfortable. Um, and obviously, Adrian saved it. So that was after the, the small error that he had made earlier on where him and Virgil had got into a bit of a mix-up where I don't know whose fault that was. But for me, being the fan that I am, I see Virgil as the key to our team, especially at the back. And obviously, Adrian's just come in. There's, there's continuity to be made. Obviously, he's comfortable with Alisson, but he's not there. So I think Virgil... If he's going to take order and he's given the commands, then for me, you let him take that order and you you let him deal with the situation because he is world class. He's the best at what he does. But obviously, there was a miscommunication, and then you kind of seen throughout later on in the game that there were situations when Virgil could actually went back to Adrian and he he sort of snubbed him and thought, you know, actually, well, I'm going to take this on myself. So there was maybe a little bit of trust issues there, but then also Adrian will learn from that. That you know he is the boss. He's the man who's in week in week out. He he knows the game. He's match sharp. He's match fit. I'd let Virgil you know cover that one. But I suppose there's no harm in what actually Arsenal did. The, that was their tactic to try and hit as long and it was on the break, knowing that they'd give us space down the sides because they played a diamond, which Klopp said we weren't expecting. But it's stupid to come to Anfield and just give our full-backs the freedom of the width of the pitch. So. He tried to isolate us two on two, but you know, you're isolating against the best defender in the world in the past 18 months and arguably the best defender in the Premier League at the moment in this season because 
I don't think there's anyone out there who's probably playing better than Joe Matip. So for me, they didn't actually offer that much of a overall threat. And if they did, you'd only have to take it back a few months of when they come to Anfield and force we're in here after the Maitland-Niles early goal and then you'd only anger the, the machine that's going to just ramp up into the second, third, fourth gear. And I'd feel if, if they had got the first goal, then it would have been more than three. What it would have been probably more near to five or six one like it was last year because as much as we pressed, we never really got out of third gear. We just coasted along until obviously we got the goals and then the game was over for us. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading some of the, uh, an article today that just, just happened to mention how journalists talk about tanks rolling over the border and, and how populations basically have to succumb to that. And, and at the moment, Liverpool are, are a bit like that. They really are. They're, they're a juggernaut that essentially is, is crushing everything in their way, certainly at Anfield. So, Dave, I want to come to you uh, on a point that we've sort of touched on and been, been skirting about a little and it's been mentioned, but I want to go into, into slightly different uh, different direction with it. So Emery's, Emery's tactic became fairly clear after about five to, to, to ten minutes, certainly. You know, it was seeding, seeding space on the wings, giving, let, letting Robertson, uh, Robertson and, uh, and Trent have the ball and uh, packing the middle and backing his, his centre-backs to head it away or his keeper to come and claim it and just essentially stopping Liverpool come through the middle. Now, yeah, it, it it seems counterintuitive, especially given the um, given the the stats for assists for for Robbo and Trent and, and and how good they are. But he's he's had to you know he's had to think of something. And I suppose, I mean, my guess he, he's he's gone for the idea that well, if we're ready for the crosses, if we're set for them, if we're making them cross from positions that uh, aren't ideal for them, so. Uh, you know, deeper than the 18-yard box, I would say, and and they're just we're trying to get them to float float the ball in, and we can deal with that and try and hit them on the break. Now, this is the grand plan Arsenal were supposedly alluding to during the week, and you know it's it's kind of worked for 40 minutes, but in the end, a goal the goal comes from a from a deep cross from a corner from the fullback on the right. So um, you know. As far as it's worked, it's worked for 40 minutes. And, and you know, after that, I thought, you know, Liverpool worked Arsenal out very quickly. I mean, we could have we could have had two more before halftime and we only score in the 40th or the 41st or something. So so what are you supposed to do? Because if you come to Anfield and, and you face up and, you know, I'm, I was a little surprised Lacazette didn't start, but I can see why Emery's maybe gone for that. I think that was a bit conservative. So what are your thoughts on that? And... Just how, as an opposing manager, do you do you attempt to, to come to Anfield and, and get a point, if, if not win the game? If every Premier League manager at the minute doesn't know the answer to that question, I certainly don't. But uh, let's see. With regards to Lacazette, I can see why he didn't start. Emery wanted that pace up there. And Lacazette is a very good footballer, but pace isn't necessarily a skill. He'll hold it. He's a bit Firmino-esque, so I suppose if you want to translate it to us, it's like you've Salamani and Firmino and you want to play two of them to hit somebody on the break and you pick Firmino, you know? Yeah. So it it makes sense what he did in relation to what he was trying to do. But ultimately, as I said earlier, this is the fourth best team in the league and they're coming to Anfield compromising themselves for us. They're coming with an acceptance that... They can't stop every part of our attack and play. They've accepted that they can't do that. And they've had to make a judgment call on which they feel they can defend best against, the front three or the full backs. And they've decided to go for the full backs. And, and you're probably right, they've probably trained all week, having crosses slung in, heading the ball away, picking up the second balls and seeing if they can break. And that was probably their plan. But Ultimately, we've just too much quality. And, it, you know, you're right, it comes from that corner, which is a cross. But at this point in time, they haven't had to deal with Van Dijk and Matip. And there's three hanging off Van Dijk. Matip's just in front of him and he bangs it into the net. And it's a great header. Um, and he has that in him. And he should score more, to be honest. But, you know, that's two this season, which is great. But, again, that's just... That's another attacking asset of our play that teams have to prepare for, specifically for us, because we're so good at them. 
ideally a team would probably want three weeks clear with no other matches to prepare for a game against us. I think that's how good we are. After the second half, Ceballos struggled. People said Willock had a good game. I just saw Arsenal midfielders running around all over the place trying to get the ball off us and when they did get the ball, getting taken off them pretty quickly. It must have been horrible to play in that Arsenal midfield on Saturday. Absolutely horrible. Guendouzi. Guendouzi looked like a little boy. It was awful. But second half, and I think, you know, I think that we were going out really early and something really, really subtle but significant, I thought, you know, as you said, Trent was kind of slinging them in all half. High percentage balls, hoping that somebody was going to get on the end of it. Fox was too packed to really pick somebody out. But early the second half, he drills that one into Salah's feet, or into Firmino's feet, which has popped off to Salah, and we get the penalty from it right away. And he just looked to be a bit more creative in his crossing, rather than just a standard, let's whip it in with pace into that zone. I mean, I, I noticed that uh, literally after we scored the last five minutes of the first half, we just began to do that a bit more. Do you think, you know, that that's just a matter of like the space opening up a bit more and us then being able to work those positions? Why we changed it? No, in, in terms of uh, in terms of what you were saying about floating the ball into the box a bit more. Arsenal were, were deeper. They were more compact at nil-nil and they were sitting, sitting deeper. And I, I just think that maybe... You know, because you could see Arsenal's faces uh, across them whenever the ball hits the back of the net from Matip's header. They, they, they drop, you know, the, the body language is like, oh, fuck, it's happened. You know, not we can come back from this, but it's like, shit, you know, this is, this is it. So, and obviously in the second half, we we then, we weren't putting the, the ball in the box in the same way, but Arsenal's shape was being pulled and stretched and they were already behind you. Do you think that also had something to do with it? Or do you think it was very much a... Get, get them in at halftime and kind of point out what we should have been doing? I think probably what we, I think when we started doing what we should have been doing, that started to stretch them a little bit more. And I think that, I think that, that changed how they played. And, and, and then I think the fact that also we had the lead and they had to be a little bit more expansive. But again, you know, that plans out the window after not, you know, not even 10 minutes because the currently on form, the best player in the world just, welts a penalty in the top corner and scores an unbelievable goal from nothing. We stretch them. They're ha- essentially, they're having to deal with something that they haven't had to deal with for the whole first half, which they did pretty well, and we worked it out. And sometimes we do it in the pitch, sometimes at halftime. And we've seen this We've seen this theme now after halftime. Something, something changes, something happens. Every game so far, every game we've seen this season, we come out, start a second half, and we're just, we're just better. So probably that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll go along with that. We've just been fantastic in in the periods um, straight after halftime, and and to be fair, just before halftime in in games so far this season, certainly Southampton and uh, and and Arsenal. Do you think there's there's something in that as well, Jay? That that it's uh, that we're you know we're kind of working stuff out during the first half, and then you know clicking things into gear sort of at halftime, and then just going for it, or do you think it's uh, an organic thing that's just kind of developed between the players that they know that these are kind of the most important and crucial times in the game or they're feeling their way in the games and, and, and just working teams out? Do you think it's kind of planned or it's a, it's a natural sort of evolution? I think it's probably a blend of both, to be honest. Um, the way we've started the season in terms of it's been early on and we had a few players, mainly the front three, who were away on international duty. I think actually it's probably planned by Klopp and his team to actually get us through the first four league fixtures and obviously a couple of the other fixtures as well just to to make sure we get through and just do enough and luckily enough between our last two fixtures and the one coming up against Burnley we've had time on the training pitch to actually get lads down and sort them out let them have the rest that they need and let them get tactically up to speed with what we're doing so I think actually it's probably more of a a plan by the, the team to maybe go for the game for 45 minutes and blitz them and get our couple of goals in the league because we know we can sit on what we've got and no one has scored two against us for a long while apart from obviously the Chelsea game was a bit of a, a gimme when the, the penalty in the Super Cup but other than that not many teams actually managed to get a couple of goals against us so I think we know we're that strong at the back that we can we can nab a few and then we can sit on what we've got. But 
over the last few weeks, you've started to see we put a good 45 in against City and then against Norwich, we had spells. But to be fair to Norwich, they come and give us a good game. And then against Southampton, we were a bit patchy, but we'd done what we had to do in the time and the we had. And then against Arsenal, I think you could probably say we had a good 60, 65 minutes where we were on top of the majority. And then when it got to the point of when Milner come on around about that point, 65, 70 minutes, it was basically Klopp saying, right, the job's done now. Let's solidify and let's, let's hold what we've got here because we know even if they come again, we've still got the firepower up top. But at that point, we were freeing it up and the game was easily coasting to an end. So I think it's clever management by, by Klopp and his team, but I think it's it's also all leading us into a season slowly. We didn't want to go gung-ho because... You can't push these players. Obviously, we've seen the unfortunate case with Allison getting the the injury that he did. But we don't want to push the lads too much because when you do strip away from our first eleven, then it does kind of look a little bit bare. So we've got to use a lot of game management with them and make sure that we're not pushing them too far. And the international break coming up is an ideal in terms of the time and that we're just starting to get most of them. But if we actually use some tactical injuries which you know Fergie's done in the past it's been mentioned in the media by a couple of people that Mane's not going to travel to Senegal that was an agreement between club and country that he's not going to go there because they got to the final and it's a friendly that they're playing but you've got the likes of Firmino Fabinho who are going to be travelling across to Brazil and then Egypt obviously are calling up Salah hopefully Naby Keita is not fit enough to be even attempted to be called up by Guinea because I think that actually a setting back in the summer that he went there and played in the AFCON, even though he was probably only 60-70% fit. And that's impacted him at the start of the season. We've been without him, but hopefully a couple of the England lads who were obviously going to get called up might just say, oh, this one isn't for me because I think it is only friendlies. And I switch off from internationals. That's my time away from football because being a scouser, then England doesn't really matter to us. So that's a, probably a 10-day period when I'll switch off, but all I'll do is monitor on Twitter who, who's fit and who's playing for the countries and making sure that they're coming back in one piece. Yeah, I mean, that's always a, always a worry, and particularly with England uh, in the past anyway. we Liverpool have not had had much luck um, with players coming back fit. I tend to agree with you. I think the Guinea has, playing for Guinea in the AFCON, has has set Naby Kaida's recovery back. And, you know, I think I think there was a bit of that last year as well when they they rushed him back for um, a qualifier or something when he when he wasn't probably fit and he, he was playing on terrible pitches and so on. So he's been he's never really been able to get in a rhythm for Liverpool because there's there's been one niggly injury after the next. Yeah, another player you mentioned there, Jay, and I just want to come to to Chengis on this because it's uh, it's, it's yeah, it was Fabinho, and it's part of this this question now uh, about the midfield, which is. Um, Beginning to take shape, I think uh, the first choice midfield. Obviously, the the midfield area, Chengis is a uh, is about the only area of the pitch where there's any real debate about the best starting three. I just think that performance at the weekend, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, and Henderson, I think they all played exceptionally well. I think, uh, and I think we're we're starting to see that sort of three from four with maybe Milner as well as as being the. Uh, the preferred choice, but I think Fabinho is actually the constant. Uh, although you know, when Alden doesn't miss many games, let's be honest. So, what did you make of the midfield in general? Because it has been a, a little maligned. People would say that there wasn't that much creativity, or there isn't that much creativity in that kind of a midfield. I just think that uh, they just function so well as a unit. You know very well, Neil, how about the the stats from these accounts are. Uh, being shared around that, you know, um, how, how how many goals our defense uh, contribute as opposed to our midfield. And, oh, yeah, imagine if we had a, a high-scoring midfield, uh, how much better we would be, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's all... Yeah. I'm actually happy that people kind of underrate how good our midfield are. And uh, and that's mainly because they don't truly understand the, the role of our midfield based on how we set up, so... That's totally fine by me because it, they, you know, they. There's never a time where any one of them doesn't put in 120 percent. I mean, you look at Genie Wijnaldum. Uh, a few moments in the game with my favorite one uh, was uh, when he he pressed the ball to get it from Guendouzi and and uh, just goes to the um, to the byline and just nutmegs another player. I mean, it's just 
yeah, amazing how we can uh, re retain the ball uh, in midfield. The, the the midfield energy is incredibly high. Uh, you have absolutely no time on the ball uh, as an opposition player. Um, so you're just best off doing very accurate one-twos to try and uh, beat that press and uh, get past the midfield if, if, if you're going to. But uh, they, they really make you work hard to, you know, get toppled over and um, I think they're uh, the main reason why uh, we we have um, such a good defense. I mean, of course, um, our whole uh, back line is they're all individual, individually really good players. Um, they always also put in nine out of ten, eight, eight, nine out of ten performances game in, game out. But when you have that midfield that's not too adventurous, but at the same time is not just the dull midfield, you see Fabinho, you know, getting the ball. Uh, quite deep and just playing that ball into Salah. I, I, the reason why he probably did that, did that was because he saw that David Luiz was quite close to him and that there was a chance that he might react in the same way and maybe get a red card. So, you know, you, you never know what, what he was thinking, but the, the ball was played perfectly and uh, David Luiz obviously didn't want to foul Mo Salah and uh, the inevitable happened there. I mean, our midfield is just the, the whole engine of the team. And when um, Roberto Firmino drops back um, uh, with all his uh, defensive duties and, you know, if you, if you look at Bobby's heat maps uh, after every game, he's absolutely all over the pitch and he spends a lot of time in the, um, in the center close to, uh, close, closer to midfield than the 18-yard the box. So... Um, we also have an additional midfielder there who can just attract uh, center backs uh, to the midfield, um, as close to the midfield, and then just play the ball out wide. So it's it's just amazing how not only do we have our robust midfield three, but you also have Bobby dropping back in. So yeah, it's going to be troublesome for any team um, to try and uh, play through the middle against us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Dave, I want to come to you on on the midfield or well on. Chengis mentioned uh, Genie Wan Alam there uh, and his favorite moment. I thought my favorite Genie moment at the the weekend was the the Pepe one where where he tracks back with Pep, Pepe and holds him off, and then in the end he taunts him and then boots it over his head. Uh, I thought that was that was class. But there were a few sort of party pieces in the game, and I just wanted Dave. Uh, there was obviously the Bobby Firmino flick and um, a couple of the others. So. Yeah, what, what were your standout moments from the game? Who were your standout players and what, what were your standout kind of, yeah, little moments or little tricks? They all look like they're really enjoying themselves, don't they? They just look like they're having the best time. They look like they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be anywhere else than where they are now. And I think that's really significant. Standout moments? Honestly, that... People give... David Louise loads and loads of stick for the Salah goal, the, the, the second one, obviously. And if you watch that, the two touches Salah takes on the halfway line are absolutely unbelievable. He fails to go inside, takes a first touch, which is absolutely brilliant, but it's how quickly then he takes a second touch after that and he's gone. He's absolutely gone. And then he speeds past Montreal, and the finish is the finish is a finish of two seasons ago. That was what I saw. I saw a player at the level we saw not last year, but the year before with that. And I think his performances, you know, we we saw against City where he was at, he didn't score, but he was unbelievable against City. And Salah for me right now is probably the best player in the world on form. You know, Messi's not playing, Ronaldo's not the player that he was. And if you're looking around, there's lots of good players. But, you know, uh, we, you can look at City if you like, maybe Sterling. But Salah's, Salah's consistency has been unreal the last few years. But I think he's found that real, real sweet spot that he had when he first joined. Um, certainly, the, you know, the second, half of, the second half of his first season. So for me, his performance was really, really standout. We know he likes playing against Arsenal, but people have talked loads about Mane, and I, I rate Mane as highly as as anybody. Um, I think he is also world class, and he's right up there. But Salah at the moment threatening to reach 
levels that aren't a kick in the ass off off Messi and Ronaldo levels. And to me, that was what was really significant. Um, the midfield were the midfield were great. You know what I think about the midfield. They 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 facilitate the fullbacks more so than anything else. Uh, allow them to allow them to have that space and that license to go forward, and they'll they'll join in when they can. Look, it's just I think I watched that game, and at no point from 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 three or four minutes, and at no point did I ever think that we weren't going we weren't going to win it, and I wasn't getting frustrated at any stage, regardless of how many aimless crosses were thrown in, regardless that it was 40 minutes and we still hadn't scored and we normally are three and a lot by this point against that lot. But at no point, I just sat back with a stupid, shit-eating grin in my face just having the best time ever watching this team. And I think there's too much shit being talked about um, what we're going to do when Klopp leaves, which is three years away, who we should have signed in the summer, what we're going to do if somebody gets an ACL injury and all this bollocks. We actually need to take a step back and appreciate that this is its the best Liverpool team that I've ever seen, ever. And let me tell you, it's by a fucking country mile too. It's not close. It's not close. I was a, I was a bit young for, for 87, but, you know, since early 90s, this is, this is by a fucking long way the best team I've ever seen. And... I think we might actually see them step it up a level this year. So that's, for me, my standout moment. Yeah, I can't disagree with with a word you've said there. I mean, um, certainly since the early 90s, it's 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 easily the best team. We've, we've had other good teams, but, but none of them are a patch on this. And and Jay, let's, let's just talk about Salah for a moment and, and then I'll ask you for your kind of standout moments and, and performances and so on. But um, Dave mentions there that... Uh, he saw Mo Salah from the season before last in, in that finish and that goal. And, you know, we've seen him take a couple of penalties now as well. And is he seems to have been practising, let's put it like that. His technique is, has massively improved. What do you see? Do you think Salah can, can go on? Because there's a lot of talk, obviously, last season. He still shares the golden boot, but he bangs in, what, 10 fewer in the league? maybe 12 fewer. Do you think he can hit the heights again and and go back up to that? And last season was, was more the outlier or what do you see for him? I don't see any reason why he can't. Um, he, he's freakishly good. I mean, that goal on, on the weekend, it reminded me of a, a Torres finish when we had Torres in his early days when he was, especially against Chelsea, he used to roast their defence. He'd get the ball, he'd shifted and he was gone and you, you weren't catching him and you, he was away and the finish into the corner was was so calm and as Dave said, it's it is the salad that we were used to from a couple of years ago. I think last year isn't when he when he got to level with Mane roughly he, he started to snatch it a few chances and he could have had a lot more. But I think this year obviously the, the African Cup of Nations didn't go for him, but he's got nothing really coming up this summer as far as a well next summer as far as I know. So he's literally got the whole season for Liverpool to focus. They've got a trophy under the belt, so they've got to be flying. And when he plays and he's in that mood, there is nobody who can defend him. You you could probably even throw Virgil up against him and he'd find a way to wriggle past him. Whether they get away from him, that's up for debate because we know Virgil's recovery pace is brilliant. But I don't see anyone who can stop him. And he looks a lot more, a lot more mature in his performance. He, he knows when to come inside. He knows when to hold outside. And the link-up that he has with Trent is, is unbelievable. We miss a lot when Trent doesn't play it right back because Salah knows that if he goes inside, that Trent's coming on the overlap or if he holds his outside position, Trent's will underlap. And, and I don't think there is a, there's a better connection down either side of the, the wings, probably in the league. We've probably got the best because we've got the best right and left back and we probably got the best right and left side of forward so there is there isn't no stopping us but taking it back to your moments of the game then that that moment by Bobby I mean mate nearly flew out the season at the roof of the Anfield Road we were sat on the back row and he jumped up and screamed like before he'd even hit the volley it was like an instant reaction and I was just sat there in, in shock thinking this guy's playing FIFA or something in his head and <laughs> everyone, everyone else is just at his base. He, he plays his own game, and we've heard the quotes that if you, if you watch Bobby, you see the whole game. But 
he literally just does what he wants and he, he was nutmegging people. He, he holds the ball up and he, he plays at a speed that it looks like he's too relaxed, but everything else around him just seems to be at a different speed to what he plays at. It's phenomenal just to watch him live. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't had that uh, that privilege yet, but uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sort that out as as soon as possible. But check um, come back to you on on Bobby. Some fabulous moments. Jay mentions the the flick and and the shot, but uh, again, haven't watched it back. It's it's absolutely fabulous. He just takes Caballos completely out of the game. There's another moment as well where he the ball fed into him and he tries to. He take, well, he takes a really amazing touch that just cushions it out of, uh, is it Socrates's? I think it's Socrates's path. Um, and he just can't get, he can't get round to, to get the finish. It, it just gets cut out. He is sensational. He, he plays the game at his own pace. We, we give him a lot of, as, as Jay said, we, we give him a lot of credit, almost, almost faint praise for, for being the the man who, who knits everything together and so on and so forth. But he is he is an absolutely fabulous player, isn't he? Oh, mate, he is absolutely unbelievable. There, there used to be the feelings towards Brazilian players that they're too silky and they, they try and be too cute, too fancy with the ball and um, they end up being maybe a bit selfish and mess it up uh, make make some mistakes like David Luiz but he's he really doesn't you know he has the element of the Brazilian flair and also just everything that he brings into the team I don't think there's a single center forward or uh, front three player like Roberto Firmino he is the most unique football player that you can have uh, playing up front for you and um, he'll do absolutely anything for the team. He's uh, not selfish at all. He does all these unexpected, brilliant little moments. Um, you know, uh, w- with that flick that he did for um, uh, to get the volley. I, I, when I first saw that, I actually thought that it bounced off a player, like he was trying to skip past, but it just bounced off the player. And then I saw the replay. I was like, wow. <laughs> it's like uh, in an alternate reality. But it's not just that. It also It's also what he does um, in terms of the defense and, you know, the moment, you know, in the few times this season when he was on the bench and he, he came, he came on later, our play completely changes. You just see how kind of reliant we are on him to take quite a lot of workload from our white players. And so they can get into better positions and receive the ball uh, in a more dangerous area. And, you know, it's just, He's an absolute machine, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of clubs like Barcelona, uh, like Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, they'd be dying to have a guy like Roberto Firmino in their team, but too bad for them. They don't make them like him, essentially. He is, he is a player in a million. Um, you know, as I say, we have this, uh, we, we consistently praise him for, for the work that he does, for the way he knits the team together, and, you know, we, we would have. We would you mentioned Brazilian stereotypes of, of being silky and maybe a bit lightweight and maybe not not responsible and yada yada. Obviously, they're they're a little bit outdated now, I suppose. But but you know stereotypes are, are hard to shake. And for a while, I think for a long time, people have, have almost thought of Bobby as 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 the opposite to that. You know the the exception that that proves the rule, but. He's got all the silk in the world. He, he's tuned into the Matrix, for want of a better term. Now, there's one for the 90s kids. Um, he, he really um, he seems to have absolute control of, of, of when he's on it, of, of time and space and what everybody around him is doing and, and how he can uh, uh, really affect the game. Because the silk is is never purposeless. There's always, there's always you know, a, a, a direct reason for it. It's always trying to get himself further up the pitch or to get a shot away or to con- contribute something. It's, it's not just showboating for the sake of it, it's showboating with a purpose. So, yeah, fabulous. It's really worth the money just, just to watch him. Great. So, so yeah, I, we'll, we'll kind of leave Arsenal there, I think. Um, I think we've uh, waxed lyrical for long enough. Um, a great game, a great performance, wrapped up again in inside an hour, 3-0 up, and then... Um, yeah, unfortunately conceded at the end, but it, it's one of those really. Um, Liverpool were were pretty rampant, yeah, uh, pretty 
pretty powerful. So we'll move on to Burnley then uh, as the next game. And uh, yeah, it's a place that has held a, a little bit of trepidation for us in the past, although I suppose not for a couple of seasons. Uh, Burnley weren't at their best last season, certainly, but um, they've, they've picked up. Um, they've started the season well. Uh, I think it's two wins and a draw. I might be wrong, but certainly they uh, they almost beat Wolves at the weekend and uh, they started their season with with a thumping win. It's always a fairly tough place to go. We, I, I'm right in saying that uh, we are we are going there, aren't we? Someone? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Uh, I was pretty sure of that. No worries. Uh, confirmations never never a bad thing. But um, yeah. So what do we think? Uh, do we hold any fear? Is is it still potentially a banana skin? I mean, Ashley Barnes has got I think four goals this season already. Likes a goal against this Burnley. We know how they're going to play. So, Jay, what do you reckon? Any any kind of... I mean, it's, it's a long shot, but any fear at all? Or you just see another win for the Reds? I can see it being a half-forward win. Burnley, we know the way they're going to play, as you said. They're, they're going to be direct. They're going to be physical. They're going to get in your face. And the last few times we've gone there, we've come away with the better of them. But it has been, you know, a half-forward game. But unfortunately, I've got this feeling that Klopp is going to put Gomez at right-back. Um, and obviously that, that for us takes away a lot of attack and verve taking Trent out the team but I think he, he may just be wary of the fact that Barnes and more than likely be Wood up top they are going to go up against us they are going to be strong and physical and just a little bit more aerial prowess in the uh, in the defensive third might just be the way he's going to go and the midfield obviously you've got no arguments if he rolls the same three outs I mean I would like to see Ox maybe get a bit more game time. Um, he come on at the weekend, but he was sort of on the periphery and the game was dead at that point. But it would be nice to see him get a bit more game time because he did look a lot sharper against Southampton. Um, but I think we'll we'll have too much for them. Again, I can't probably see us keeping the clean sheets because you're just not filled with that air of confidence with Adrian than you are with Alisson. Um, but I'd say probably we'll come away with a, a 2-1 victory, which... You know, no one would complain going into the first international break with a cup in your trophy cabinet and four wins out of four in the league, sitting top. Man City are likely to do the business against Brighton, so we just need to maintain a gap on them for as long as we possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. We've always got the, that thought in, in the back of our minds, uh, or maybe a little further forward than the back. So, yeah, Cengiz, what do you reckon? Any any uh, trepidation? Do you pretty much agree with, with Jay there, or...? Um, how do you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with that. I mean, I think it's actually a better time for us to play them since they they have a cup game, don't they? I think they play tomorrow uh, against Sunderland. And uh, you'd like to think that they wouldn't have a deep enough squad to be able to put out a team that they really want to win that game. Um, so I think it's going to be a tougher ask of them to play certain members of the first team squad, you know, have them full of energy against um, a very rampant, a very aggressive Liverpool team that's going to go there not wanting nothing but three points. So um, it's definitely going to be tough for them. And I, I, I think it's it might be a bit more easy, easier this time round uh, than it has been previously since uh, you know, as Jay mentioned, we've already got one trophy in the cabinet this season. And, uh, you know, the, the players are, you can, especially against Arsenal, you saw how incredibly confident they are. I think it should be an easier test than, you know, my, my, my prediction would be 3-0, actually. I'm going to go, I'm going to go bold and say 3-0 to Liverpool. Okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, can't really disagree too much with, with what you're saying there. Uh, yeah, Liverpool uh, have, have kind of evolved at the, our, our more recent trips there haven't been as difficult. However, just finally on this, uh, Dave, I'll come to you. Obviously, um, Burnley are no mugs. They, they, they have a particular way of playing. and I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on Adrian or try to attempt to anyway. Do you see them getting any joy uh, or yeah, do you see it being uh, slightly more straightforward? It's a hard one. It'll. I just think it'll be a slog. It'll be a different game from Southampton, but similar. If you know what I mean, they'll they'll not try and do what Southampton did to us, but 
as far as I'm concerned, sit and watch, and it, it'll be a similar experience. Um, agree with Jay, he'll probably go Gomez right back. He likes the extra height in there against physical teams like that. Um, they have the boy on the left-hand side, I think McNeil, who um, likes to get forward. That might, might tempt him into playing Trent to try and push him back, but I can't really see it, particularly with with what you've mentioned about Adrian, he'll, he'll, he'll want to give him as much protection as possible. And Jay was right in what he was saying earlier on. Van Dijk took that decision in in game to take as much pressure off him as he could uh, against Arsenal after 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 he, he came out and it was a bit of a miscommunication. So I agree with Jay, uh, but I want to agree with with Chango. So um, yeah, let's just leave it there. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I can see it being being tough. I think like like generally being alluded to um, I think they're in a, a good vein of form and they will try and exploit any perceived weakness um, but I think I think we'll win it I think, I think we could concede but 3-1 I, I think I still think we'll have we'll, we'll be we'll just have too much for them in the, at the end of the day so um, yeah just just briefly then just to, to round up obviously uh, the UEFA Champions League draw is, is, is almost upon us and uh, yeah, we're in it, and we're actually in in the in the top pot for once. So, uh, Dave, any um, yeah, come to you. Any any thoughts on um, yeah, who we could potentially end up facing, and uh, yeah, who would you like to face? Shall we say? Okay, so if you want, if you want, um, I'll do it by pot, and you can tell me who you would prefer. Aye, go for it. Yeah, okay. So, pot one, uh, or sorry, we're in pot one, obviously. Pot uh, one. So, pot two then. Uh, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Dortmund, Napoli, Shakhtar, Ajax, or Benfica. So, Jay, take your pick, good sir. The head says Real Madrid because, you know, we owed them one from the final a couple of years ago. But then my heart says Dortmund because the romance, obviously, with Klopp. Um, the game we had against him in the Europa League a couple of years ago, and I, I'd like I'd like to see Dortmund come to Anfield because they play very similar football to us. So either of them for me, also pot two. You'd like to get one big team because it's the Champions League. You know, you want to be playing against the best. Yeah, I, I, I generally uh, stress stress generally feel that way. <laughs> um, uh, Chief, so anybody particular you fancy out of that lot? If you were going for the most straightforward, I would I would probably go for Benfica. But yeah, I think there's there's something in what Jay's saying there about wanting to get at least one big team. Although you could go somewhere else kind of later in the pots. There are still some some other teams in there. But perhaps Ajax, just because I I've always loved Ajax. You know, obviously they have the, the legendary teams of the of the 70s and they had, they were also awesome whenever I was a kid, eight years old. Um and 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 through into the nineties, that team that, that won the Champions League with with Clivert and so on, and and they were brilliant last year. And I kind of felt we were a little bit cheated not getting them in the Champions League final. I really wanted them, and to to, be, to end up with Spurs was a little disappointing. So um, so yeah, I would go for Ajax in that group. All right, Tango. I'm also gonna go for Real Madrid because it was quite painful what happened two years ago in the final. Well, last year rather, but the, you know that that was the exact moment where you know the team sort of matured if you like uh we we came out um the following season uh and we just almost blew everything in our path we're one point away from the league and uh obviously won the champions league so i think it would be now is the time to hurt real madrid because you know uh, we do owe one to them and I think we could possibly do a job on them two times um, in both games uh, if we if we go in the same group. So I'm going to go for Real Madrid. All right, cool. Um, all right, pot three then. Uh, Jay, we've got Leon, Bayer Leverkusen, Salzburg, Olympiacos, Club Bruges, Valencia, Inter, or Dynamo Zagreb. Now I stress that these are still a few fixtures, but these are the likely. Yeah, I think Zagreb have qualified tonight. All very close to qualifying. Uh, for me, I, I wouldn't mind Club Bruges or Salzburg. You don't want to be going too far in Europe in terms of travel distance. Um, and if you can avoid the likes of Inter Milan and Valencia, 
because they are potential banana skins, then yeah, they'd probably ask for one of those closer European cities just to travel to somewhere that we haven't really been either for a while. Yeah, I, do you know what? I agree with that, and that's my overriding feeling coming into the draw. Is I want shit teams that are really close. That's it. The Man, the Man City draw or the United draw of years ago, where they get absolutely bollock draws and they they're, they're through after four games. Yeah, exactly. Like Bromby and Maribor in the same group somehow. Yeah, I, I, I just want that. I want I want focus on the league where we can where we can get it. Chief, anybody out? Anybody in there? Yeah. I, I, would agree with Jay. Club Rouge, perfect. Uh, they're not very good. They're very close, and we can stick loads past Manuel. Of course, brilliant. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Chango, you've got to say Bruges now, don't you? Yeah, I mean, obviously that that was also uh, one of my one of my choices because um, I've also, I mean, not just because of uh, perhaps putting a few past Manuel, but. Uh, I've been to Belgium uh, before. Not to uh, didn't spend too much time in. Uh, uh, in I haven't been to Bruges. I just been to Brussels shortly and uh, to Antwerp. But it's it seems kind of like a reasonable place, you know. Especially uh, you know the travel from here and uh, from Germany is, is is quite convenient. And um, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind Bruges either. But uh, yeah, Dinamo Zagreb. Um, can't be too bad as well, I guess. It doesn't really matter. Pot three, pot four. I I would I think is Galatasaray in in pot four. Yeah, pot four. So we've uh, locomotive Moscow, Young Boys, Genk, Galatasaray, Leipzig, Slavia Prague, Atalanta, and Lille. Oh man, I'll I'll tell you this. So pot four. It's it's really easy. It, it would be possible for me to find uh, tickets to go to that game. So. Um, I'm kind of saying I hope we get them, but uh, that would mean that I would be I would be have to maybe sitting amongst Galatasaray fans, and I've I've done that before watching in Besiktas Stadium, sitting amongst their fans. Um, it was um, yeah, not not the most pleasant match they experienced. Let's put it. No, I just stay away from that if I were you, man. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, and I think it would be probably. Um, the most banana skin fixture in that group. It would be per, um, resembling the Red Star atmosphere, uh, maybe even worse. So um, that's definitely one that I would want to avoid, actually. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, Jay, anybody you particularly fancy there? I, I'd take any of the, the the teams, really, apart from Leipzig and Galatasaray. Uh, obviously, Nagelsmann's uh, at Leipzig now. He's He's obviously got a high reputation. He's an up-and-coming quality coach. And you don't want to go to Galatasaray. And probably one other to avoid is Moscow because you could end up with a dirty draw out there in terms of late November. You don't want to be travelling halfway across Europe to Moscow in freezing temperatures. So, uh, Lille, Lille, plastic pitch or something. Give, give us Lille or uh, Genk or someone nice and close so we can take an army over the channel. Then, I mean, obviously they only have small grounds but we, we travel in large numbers and Again, at Genk and Leo, even at Atlanta, there's a couple of places that we've not really been before. So it's nice to get the Reds out there and see new places and let us know, you know, the kings of Europe are in town. Absolutely. Prague's always a good night out too. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Couldn't be disappointed with that either. Chief? You, you can go for a few. I mean, obviously, it's been mentioned, you, know, you, wouldn't, want, you wouldn't want Russia, you wouldn't want Moscow, um, just for, for the distance, really. And uh, I'd actually... Quite like Leipzig because it's uh, close to uh, close to Berlin, so <laughs> might have a chance of getting down. Plus, I think they would actually be they're a good side. I think they'd actually be perfect for us because they they try and attack us, they try and press us, and we could just like we did to their their uh, Nagelsmann's Hoffenheim. I think it was he was at. Um, yeah. We could we could do a, a similar job to on, on Leipzig. So that would would actually be mine. Uh, I don't really fancy. Yeah, I wouldn't really fancy it. Uh, a, Going to Slavia Prague or something, just because they're they're pretty fucking good. Like, I mean, when I mean, they only play in in the Czech Republic and whatever, but they're they're rampant in their league and they have been for a couple of seasons. Prague is a good night out, but um, yeah, Leipzig just for the distance and uh, and the, and the prospect of it being a, a barnstorming game, the Reds would win. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. I think Johnny and Dave are going to do something on on Thursday. Uh, the reaction to the draw, so we'll wait with bated breath. Absolutely, yeah. So as 
as Dave said there, uh, Johnny, uh, John Henderson and Dave Karen will be uh, with you later in the week to discuss or yeah, to give their reaction to the, the Champions League draw and, and discuss uh, the outcome of it. So stay tuned for that or keep an eye out for it. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we will wrap it up there then, folks. So just uh, would like to say thank you very much to, to all my con- uh, contributors tonight from, from Belfast, Liverpool and Berlin. Thanks very much, lads. And um, just also thank you very much for listening. If you have stuck with us, I uh, hope we haven't uh, gone on too long for you. So, yeah, I've been your host, Neil Patterson, and um, up the rampant reds.